Good morning and a warm welcome to you to Ladywell Baptist Church and our service of worship this morning. It's the beginning of a new week and at the beginning of a new month and at the beginning of each month we uh, would ordinarily celebrate communion together. We're going to share in a time of communion later in our service and so if you'd maybe want to pause the video now and get things ready for that, if you have bread and uh, something to drink, then we'll share around the table together, albeit in our own homes, as strange as that may be. Also, just a reminder to you, over this coming week, we have on Monday evenings at half past seven, our drop-in cafe on Zoom. And if you would like to come along to that, to see a few familiar faces, to share in some conversation, uh, to break up your week, then you'd be most welcome. Speak to a deacon or speak to myself and you'll get the information to uh, connect to that meeting. And on Wednesday evening at half past seven, we have our prayer meeting and Bible study. We're continuing our weekly devotions in Matthew's gospel. And if you would like to come along to that, you would be most welcome. You don't need to be a member of Ladywell Baptist Church to do either of those two things. Uh, but speak to myself or uh, one of the deacons, get in touch either by phone, email or through the church Facebook page and we can supply you with the login details so you can connect in to those two meetings. As we begin our service of worship this morning, we're going to sing and we're going to pray and come around God's word and around the table together. And as we do so, we want to frame our time to understand what it is we are here to do, why we're celebrating the way we are. And in Psalm 98, we hear these words. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And it's this salvation that draws us into his presence together this morning. It's why we come and hear his word and share around the table in communion. It's an opportunity to celebrate the promises of God worked out in history through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through to the time of Jesus and to our day. And we're going to consider that in our service this morning, that idea of God's faithful promises and what that means for us here today. It's great to be able to praise the Lord for his perfect uh, glory and power. And this morning, as we turn to his word in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read about his perfect faithfulness as he delivers his promise to make uh, a people for himself, uh, a great nation beyond number. And so we read in Genesis chapter 12, these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep 
oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her from my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for it this morning. It's so good to hear of the promises of God so faithfully given and then carried out through the whole uh, range of Scripture to the time, the coming of Jesus and his fulfillment of these promises, as we'll go on to see in our time a little later. But let's come together now in prayer as we come before a faithful God who is always faithful to his promises. And let us bring our church and our world before him together now. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, loving Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful for your word this morning. Lord God, we thank you that we are able to read of these promises given to Abraham so long ago. Promises which he, Lord, was only able to see the very beginnings of their fulfillment. Lord, we are able to look back and see how they have been fulfilled so fully, so completely, so faithfully by you. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has come and been the deliverer of these promises to not just Abraham's biological family, but to people from every tribe and tongue and nation in this world. Lord, we stand as Christian men and women this morning because of Christ's faithful working out of those promises given so long ago. And so, Lord, we come before you acknowledging your faithfulness, Lord, this morning. And, Father, we come in confession at this time of worship, Lord, for we are not faithful. We have failed you in so many ways, big and small. And so we come, Lord, asking for your forgiveness, Lord, praying that you would hear our desire to live faithfully before you and our confession of our lack in that area. And Lord, would in cleansing us from sin yet again, would Lord build us up so that we might go from this time ready to live more faithfully with you this week than we have done in this past week. Lord God, we thank you that you are a just and a merciful God. And so we come, Lord, humbly together this morning and ask that you might build us up. Father God, we come and ask for our church this morning. We have many in our fellowship who are struggling. And Lord, we know these folks by name, and so we bring them before you by name in this time and ask that you would meet their physical needs. Lord, we have those who are struggling with ill health. Lord, we have some among our number who at this time are close to death. Lord, we ask that you would be their strength and their sufficiency at this time. Lord, that you would bless them with a knowledge of your presence in these, their final days. Lord, that you would draw them close to you and they would know that you will never leave or forsake them at this most crucial of time for them. Lord, we ask that you would be with their family and pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them as they care for their loved ones at this time. And Lord, as a fellowship, we would gather around them all in prayer and ask that you would continue to bless them in faithfulness to your promises, that you in Christ will always go with them. Lord God, we pray for those who are struggling physically. Lord, we ask that you would build them up and heal them. Lord, that if you will not heal them, that you would give them the strength and the patience to persevere through this time of testing of their faith, Lord, that they might weather this storm and emerge stronger, a more mature Christian out the other side. And we pray as well, Lord, for those who are struggling, Lord, mentally and spiritually, who feel distant from you, who feel they're going through an incredibly dark and difficult time. Lord, young or old, these experiences can be crippling to us. And so we lift our brothers and sisters going through this time of darkness before you and ask that you might lift them up 
that you might fill their vision with that of Christ, that he might appear to them far greater than the struggles they are going through. And so, Lord, they might be encouraged, that they might be able to weather this difficulty. Heavenly Father, we pray not just for our church, but for the whole of Livingston. Lord, there are so many who are struggling at this time who do not have enough to eat, who do not have sufficient money to pay their rent. Lord, who are distant from their family because of uh, lockdown and social isolation. And so, Lord, we pray for them that they might come to know your presence at this time, that that in all its sufficiency might be a comfort to them. Heavenly Father, we pray for our church in our outreach to this community that we might make Christ known to these folks, that he might encourage them and build them up. And Heavenly Father, we pray as well for our sister churches here in this area, for Broxburn Baptist and for Dedridge Baptist also. Lord, may we together as Baptists in this area, Lord, seek to reach out to this community in new and in innovative ways at this time where we cannot gather together physically. Lord God, we ask that you might move powerfully through your people, for this is your church. And as we read in your word, the gates of hell cannot prevail over it. So bless your kingdom through your people, we would pray. Lord God, we ask that you would be with uh, our government across this nation. Lord, we give you thanks for Boris Johnson and the Westminster government and Nicola Sturgeon and the government in Holyrood and ask that you would bless them with wisdom and with courage. Lord, we're moving towards a time where lockdown will begin to be lifted. And so we pray that you would give them wisdom to know how that should best be done to ensure the safety of our people and, Lord, to ensure the integrity of our health service that it may cope as, Lord, more people begin uh, in this time to mix together and infections may uh, begin to rise again. Lord, we pray that you may oversee it all in your sovereign power that you may bless our nation. And in restoring us, Lord, to, uh, to the sort of life that we are used to, we pray, Lord, that some of the community spirit, some of the self-sacrifice we've seen by so many people in our nation over these few weeks gone by may continue, that we might be a generous, loving, kind people. And Lord God, we ask that you would be in the midst of it all, that there would be a greater awareness of you at this time and into the weeks and months that lie ahead. Heavenly Father, we give all these things over to you and ask that you might, in your faithfulness, in your sovereign power, in your grace and in your mercy, bear with us all, build us up, and Lord, send us out to be salt and light in this place in which we live. And Lord God, we ask it all in our Savior's precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come towards the end of this period of lockdown that we are looking towards uh, this present week, uh, as regulations will begin to change and as we emerge back into life that resembles something we were familiar with before uh, the current crisis, it's good for us to spend some time reflecting on the life that we had before, the way things were, how things have been during lockdown, and what life will be like as we emerge into the future, whatever that will hold for us. As we've gone through this time together, it's been interesting to see the way that people have responded to the crisis with great generosity and with great care uh, for neighbours and family and friends. People have been very generous at giving to charity, at supporting food banks and community fridges uh, and so on. And it's a key question, I think, for us to ask, will we see those changes carried on into the future? As a Christian people, it's interesting for us to ask, what will the future look like as we've been gathering together, but at home, as we've been experiencing fellowship together, perhaps more closely than we have done uh, in previous years when we were physically gathering on Sundays. We've made a greater priority of phoning one another, of uh, emailing and texting and staying connected together, supporting each other through this time. And will that continue Certainly, as a pastor, it's my hope that that sort of thing will continue on into the future. But it's good for us to ask, will it? Or will we just slip back to the way that we were before? What kind of aspirations do we have for our own lives? 
We have family and friends that we long to see uh, become Christians. We have a society that we desperately want to see impacted by the gospel and transformed by God for his glory. But will we see it? How do you feel in asking those questions? Because I think sometimes when we think of all of our aspirations, our great expectations for the future, we can feel a little bit daunted. We can feel perhaps a sense of... uh, of disappointment already that these things probably won't work out the way that we would desire them to. We have fears and frustrations that our great hopes won't be fulfilled in the future. And that's in part because we have had so many hopes for the future in times gone by and haven't seen them quite fulfilled in the way that we would desire. So how do we go forward at this particular time of change as we stand on the cusp of the old age, if I can put it that way, ending of the previous life that we have known finishing and this new reality beginning as we emerge out of lockdown. Well, as we read in God's word this morning in Genesis chapter 12, we read of a time of change in Abram's life where there is great expectations for the future, but as they begin to be fulfilled, they're not perhaps fulfilled quite in the way Abram might have assumed they would be but perhaps not the way that we would assume God would fulfill them as Abraham journeys out from his homeland into this unknown future, this unknown land. And so it's helpful for us to read of this and to reflect and to learn as we face an uncertain future ourselves with great expectations, but with perhaps no real idea about how we get from here to there. And so as we begin uh, in this chapter of great change in Abraham's life. We read of the promises of God delivered to him while he still lives in this far away land, this pagan land, Ur of the Chaldeans, and then in Haran in the north as he uh, has been led out of Ur by his father, Terah, uh, on this journey. And God's promises to Abraham are in line with all that we've read in Genesis so far that God is going to deal ultimately with the problem of sin in the world. And as Genesis 12 is quoted in numerous places throughout Scripture, we find that is uh, how it is viewed as being the beginnings of this time of change where God really um, begins to work out his plan of salvation that he had delivered to Eve in, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. I'll send someone who is going to deal with sin, who will crush the serpent, who will make the relationship between God and man right once more, will heal a broken relationship. And as we come to the end of chapter 11, we've heard that God has led Abram's family out of the city of Ur and to the city in the north of Haran. But we don't really get very far. They settle there for a time and don't really go any further. And as we read this chapter where the story picks up and the momentum begins to build again, we find that God is going to deal with the problem of sin in a number of ways. There are three promises in chapter 12 that are given to Abraham as he steps out into this new era, as it were, of God's plans and purposes being worked out in history. First, he's going to make a great nation. Abram's direct family are going to become this vast number of people beyond counting almost. And there are going to be people of every tribe and tongue and nation within this family. We'll go on and see how that's worked out in a few moments. He's going to make a great name. Firstly, a great name for Abram. And he's going to see Abraham's name made famous all over the world. But we know actually that he's going to not just stop there, but he is going to make a great name for God himself through Abraham. And we'll see how that's worked out. And lastly, he's going to make a a blessed people. He's going to bless this little family of Abraham's as it begins to grow But also, he's going to bless people all over the world. And we find that um, in verses 2 and 3. He's going to bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And he's going to bless all the families of the earth through Abram's family. So these three promises are how God is going to deal with the problem of sin in line of Genesis 1 through to 11. 
But it's also the path, as it were, that he's going to lead Abraham down. These are the various ways that God is going to work out um, his plans in Abraham's life to bring about this uh, resolution to the problem of sin for the whole world. And as we read in the New Testament, particularly in Galatians chapter 3, we find that all of these promises are worked out through the person of Christ. Through Christ, we find that this nation isn't just going to be a, a biological family at the eastern end of the Mediterranean, but is going to be a family that spans the whole world. And Jesus talks about that in the Gospels when he talks about how the kingdom of God is going to be like a a mustard seed which starts out tiny but becomes this huge plant. We find that Jesus is going to make a great name for Abraham's family. That, That through Jesus we find that we are going to have a part in this family that is known all over the world. And the name of Jesus, we find, is going to be even greater than the name of Abraham. For in his name, as we read in the book of Acts, we find salvation will come. So that through Jesus' name and no other, salvation will come to all peoples of the world. Abraham points forward, leads to Jesus, and certainly Abraham's name will be made great but much greater will be the name of his son. And then lastly, we find that Jesus will lead to a blessed people, not just of um, the, the family of Abraham, of Isaac, or of Ishmael, or of any one of the descendants of Abraham, but people all over the world as we see this worked out in all its fullness. And this is mentioned in various places, but most notably in Revelation, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation, saved through the blood of Jesus, spilled at Calvary, are brought before the throne of God and praise him and glorify God forever. All through Abraham's son, Jesus. And so we find, firstly, God's promises lead in Abraham's life to great joy. Now, Abraham's a wealthy man. He has everything that he could ever want. He has money. He's got a home. He has servants, livestock. He has someone to share all of these things with and this beautiful wife that he loves dearly. He has tremendous power in the ancient world. Someone with all of that wealth also has power and influence. So what more could God give him at this time? Well, the answer is joy, is satisfaction, fulfillment of the sort that lasts forever. Not because he has um, all of these earthly blessings, but because he has a transformed life, a life with God, lived in fellowship with him. And that is what God is promising Abraham through these first three verses. That Abraham would know a life and a love with God and so therefore would be satisfied completely, regardless of whether he has all of these many blessings or not. Abraham, even for all his wealth, cannot bless the peoples of all the world. Abraham, even for all of his power, does not have the kind of name that will be known everywhere all over the world. Abraham cannot make a great nation who will go out and cover the whole world, even for all of the things that God has already given him. Transformation must come, and God must bring it. And so in relationship with God, Abraham will find the true meaning, value, and purpose of life lived out. And this is what God promises him. This thing is what God calls him, requires him to sacrifice everything he has for the sake of pursuing. As God says to him, I want you to get up from the place that you know, this place where you have power and influence and wealth, and leave it and go to a land you don't know, to a people that you are not familiar with, to a family you do not yet have, but it will be worth it all. And it's something that we often miss, I think, when we read about uh, our faith in Scripture. And we read about the faith of Abraham in Scripture. We are called to live and to die for our faith. Jesus says that you are to come and take up your cross daily and follow me. But is our faith really worth dying to ourselves to have? 
Well, we see in Abraham's life, certainly, he is willing to give up everything for the sake of God, to follow in the way that God uh, has put before him, even though he has no idea how it's going to work out. He doesn't know how all these promises will come to pass, but he goes in faith knowing it will be worth it. And so we are called to go in faith and follow after Jesus because of all he will deliver for us in delivering these promises given to Abraham, as Paul says in Galatians 3, as he says in Ephesians, uh, and as we read of in Hebrews and Romans and in the Gospels. If we don't believe that these promises are worth truly living and dying for, then we're not going to share the gospel with passion. We're not going to give ourselves to worship and to sacrifice for the sake of our brothers and sisters in the church and for those in need in the world, because this is simply little more than a hobby. But if it is a faith worth pursuing with every fiber of our being, laying aside anything that hinders us from pursuing that faith, then we find it takes on whole new meaning in our lives. And it becomes infectious. Because if you could have what I have, if you could only see what I see, your life would be transformed. And the sort of people that share that message are the sort of people that see transformation come to their families and communities and to their world. God promises to deal with the problem of sin that always distances us from him. And so as we come to this uh, point in our experience where we're looking to the future with expectation, we must do so with a recognition that God's promise, whatever else he desires to do, whatever we would have him do in our lives, this is where it begins with a promise to deal with the problem of sin. Because if sin is dealt with, then we are a transformed people going forward. And are far more able to see transformation come to our world as a result. And so wherever our journey begins, however we start moving towards that future, it must begin in this place. We're never going to know exactly how God will work out all his plans and purposes. We're not called to know. What we're called to know is that he will lead us all the way and it begins there. So as God promises to deal with the problem of sin in Abraham's life, he then calls Abraham to trust in that promise. Because it's not a promise Abraham can actually work out in his own life for all his power and influence and might. And it's not a problem that we can work out, we can deal with ourselves. It is a promise we must trust in in our lives today. And so in verses 4 through 14, we find Abraham went. And it's an astonishing verse, isn't it? He had all of these earthly blessings at his disposal, all of the comfort that that kind of power and influence brings. And yet he gets up at the age of 75 and goes to a part of the world he knows nothing about, to a people he doesn't know. Abraham's loyalty has not just been commanded by God. He has willingly placed it on God and has gone forward into this unknown world as a result. And if we want to be children of God who receive the blessings of his promises, then we must see that loyalty and obedience to God worked out. They're not options. One of the great problems of the the nation of Israel all through its history was that it would rely upon God for a time, but when the going got tough and things were hard, there was a, a sort of a desire to latch on to other gods who might deal with this problem at this time. And once it's over, we'll just go back to worshiping the God of Israel again. And God became so incredibly frustrated with that. He calls for faithfulness because if you're going to live your life in this way, you're not trusting in his promises. And if you're not trusting in his promises, you don't really want the blessings those promises deliver or will deliver. Not really. And so there's an expectation that obedience will flow out of the delivery of that promise to his people. Even if it means going through discomfort or loss, even if it means for a long time that we feel our lives aren't heading in the direction we think they ought to be going, it is still a call to obedience that we must work out in our lives at any age. And at any time, regardless of how contented we may feel at this time, 
coronavirus has stripped away so many of our comforts, hasn't it? Made us aware of how fragile and frail we are and how we are not able to work out all the things we would want to see in our lives ourselves. We need someone else, someone more powerful. So Abraham firstly obeys God. And it's something that we do gloss over as we read this passage, that he uproots his whole household and moves to this land he doesn't know at the age of 75. He takes an enormous risk for the sake of God. And secondly, when Abraham follows God's call to get up from where he was comfortable and go to a place he doesn't know, a distant land, and take everything he has with him, everything he owns is involved in going where God's called him to go. He leaves nothing behind. And so it is with us that we hear the promises of God worked out. And we see that we are to go and be salt and light in our world, that God will bring salvation to our people, to our nation. He will bring transformation. But there's an expectation as we go that we go and take everything with us. It all is spent on that promise of God being fulfilled and worked out in our lives and in our, uh, in, in our church and in our world. All of it belongs to God. It's all God's stuff. And it's all to be used for the fulfilling of God's promises, the working out of his plans and his purposes. There's no compartmentalizing of Abraham's life. And so there is no place for that in our lives either. As we see in Christ, he comes and everything he is given in this life is spent fully to work out the plans and purposes of God. He calls his disciples to follow him and they only have the things that they can carry. They don't have their lucrative um, fishing business. They don't have their lucrative business as a tax collector to rely upon as they go. All of that is given up and all they own is to be used for the, the working out of God's promises, his plans and his purposes. And thirdly, Abraham goes as the Lord told him. He trusts that God would have his best at heart, and so he may lose much of his wealth. He may not have the kind of life that he was used to, and yet whatever life he had, if it was with God, it would be worth the living, worth the sacrifice. Because God will lead him to the fulfillment of these promises. Why would God promise something and not carry it through? And this is particularly true as Abraham um, looks towards a family of his own at the age of 75 with no children. Why would God not give him a child? Why would God not give him the life that he has promised to give if he's blessed him in so many ways up until this point? There is no other way but to go trusting and obeying God because of all the ways that God has blessed him so far. Why would God even make the promise if it couldn't be delivered? And so it is with us as we look about the promise of this transformation brought to our lives through Christ. God is not going to promise to transform your life, to transform the nation in which we live, the world in which we live through the power of the gospel, if he's not going to carry it out. If God is sufficiently powerful to save you from a life of sin that you were completely given over to, such that you didn't even know God or his ways, if he is able to do that, then why promise to bring that same transformation to the lives of other people if he can't work it out, when he could clearly work it out in your life? It's one of the great testimonies of Scripture that salvation comes as the gracious gift of God, and that is the basis upon which we stand and look at every other area of Christian life. It's the reason we worship and witness and build one another up, because God has done it. God has transformed us. We have not managed to transform ourselves. And so we are called to be obedient to God in light of all his promises. And then lastly, in verses 15 to 20, we find that God is always true to his word. This is particularly important to Abraham because Abraham is, is being led on a journey where he cannot see the next few steps ahead. He doesn't know. He hears the promises. He trusts the promises. He goes in faith and yet he has no idea how any of this is going to actually be brought about. Especially this promise of being a great nation when he cannot have children at this point because he's an old man. His wife is an old woman. 
And yet, we see God is always true to his word. God sovereignly fulfills his promises in ways that Abraham couldn't even begin to imagine. He goes as God's called him to do, but he doesn't stay in the land of Canaan. He journeys through it. He builds an altar um, at Shechem at the oak of Moreb because the Lord appears to him and there is no temple place of worship. So he builds an altar. This is Moses' way of saying to the people of Israel that Abraham stopped to worship God in this place. And yet he journeyed on. He camped between Bethel and Ai and built another altar. He worshipped the Lord wherever he stopped and dwelt for a time and then continued his journey on south towards the Negev, towards this wilderness in the south, which is where God's people under Moses are journeying the other direction out of as Moses begins to tell them these um, stories of their own history. And ultimately, Abraham heads into Egypt because there's a famine in the land, just as Israel did under um, Joseph. And as Moses leads the people out of Egypt, that part of their history will be much on their mind. It's where the whole book of Genesis is going towards, is going to end, ultimately. But Abraham, before Joseph, leads his family down into Egypt because of a famine, just like in Joseph's day, and finds refuge there that doesn't last. We find in the story that um, as he seeks refuge in Egypt, he doesn't know how he will emerge safely from that place because of the beauty of Sarai and because Pharaoh might well do away with Abraham to have this beautiful woman and all of Abraham's wealth, which would simply default to him um, as a result of, of getting rid of Abraham. So they concoct a lie because they can't see a way how they will emerge out of this. And so often that's what we do, isn't it? We construct on the fly some way whereby God's plans and purposes will be worked out because we can't see in our finite um, vision of the future how God will ever work out his plans. But this is not what God would desire, telling of lies uh, to the, the king of Egypt. However, God leads Abraham through and he delivers plagues on the household of Egypt, again reminiscent of what Moses has just led the people through. And as a result of these plagues, it becomes clear to Pharaoh, Abraham and Sarai have lied to him and he desires to do what is right. So he puts them out and keeps, um, lets them keep all of the wealth that they've accrued in Egypt on top of all the wealth they already had coming from Haran. And they journey out into the Negev back up towards Israel and there the chapter ends. And in this time, we find that Abraham heads towards the fulfillment of part of God's promise. He's going back to the land of Canaan to receive the promise of God that this will be his land. For all that Abraham will never see it fulfilled completely, perfectly. And yet, Abraham continues on faithfully, knowing God will be true to his word, but having no understanding of how it will work out. You may have heard the little proverb about how the battle was won. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the message was lost. For want of the message, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for want of a horseshoe nail. God brings about his plans and his purposes in a myriad small ways that we deem insignificant that we don't understand, and yet God is in it all working things out so that his purposes will come to pass at the end. And yet there is an expectation that we will play our part in those plans, in the living out of our lives faithfully. Even when we fail and slip into unfaithfulness, God will still draw things together to work out his plans and to fulfill them completely so that they never fail, so that they never falter. How often do we wonder about how useful we will be in witnessing to our faith and to seeing others changed by the gospel? How often do we doubt that God will do anything worthwhile through us or through our church, in our town, in our nation? So many of our fears and concerns and doubts serve as hang-ups because we simply don't see how God can ever work out his plans and his purposes through people like us. And yet we look at Abraham. 
and his struggles to live out his life. This is not going to be the last struggle Abraham has. He's going to fail the Lord a number of times. And yet God will lead him on because God has promised. And so it is with us. We see it in the life of Jesus who comes and is delivered over to the Roman authorities by one of his own disciples. A great failure. He's crucified on a Roman cross, a huge failure. And yet through all of these failures, God works out his plans and his purposes. Christ must stay faithful. He must go the distance, but God will use it all. God will never let his plans or purposes fail. And so as it comes to the transformation of our world, to the changing of the people around us through the power of the gospel, God will not fail even if it means using someone as small and as feeble as me or as you, someone elderly like Abram, like Sarah, people who, looking at them in human terms, would never be able to do these things. And yet God brings it all about. He equips his people. He sets them to the right place at the right time and through them brings transformation. And he will do so through you because it is not your work. It is the work of Christ through you, bringing the gospel, which is the power of salvation to the world in which we live. As we grow in our trust of the Lord and in his promises, we will labor labor all the harder to see salvation come to our people in our town because it's not all resting on me. I am probably going to fail working these plans and purposes out. But the Lord doesn't require me to be utterly perfect. He requires himself in all of his power to be perfect. So it's not on me. And so I can engage fully, passionately in worship and in building up my brothers and sisters in the church and in witnessing to my faith in the world, knowing God will bring transformation. And it might not come in the way and at the time that I think it ought to, but I know it will come because the Lord is working through it all. So we can look forward in expectation that God's kingdom will grow in Livingston, in this town. And so we can take pride in being a citizen of God's kingdom. We can engage fully in church life, knowing that as we do so, we're seeing God's kingdom spread. We will look forward to seeing his blessings to us pour out, not just into our lives and bless us, but into the lives of others around us. And we can rejoice in the salvation that will come to a blind and to a needy people. Because God is about that work. That is what the gospel is for. And we will glory in the Savior God has sent, the seed of Adam and Eve, the son of Abraham, who has adopted us into a royal family, and we will see his name made great in this world. And it all starts here, as we latch on to the promises of God, as we cling to them, knowing that as we do so, we are trusting in the God who has never once failed and will never fail in Livingston, in 2020 or 2021 or in any other time for that matter. So as we look to the future and have great aspirations for the power of the gospel bringing transformation, we do so not in light of our own strength, but in light of the promises of God delivered to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ and worked out through the Holy Spirit in our day. So go in that confidence this coming week. Amen. It's great to be able to sing together of uh, the beauty of the Lord in his salvation of us, his transformation of the world and of the um, building of his church. The king truly is worthy of all honor and praise. And it's great to be able to reflect on that now as we gather uh, around the table for a time of communion. Again, I just give you an opportunity to maybe pause the video and get things ready for our time together as we eat and we drink together. Communion is for um, all those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's not you, um, then please don't take part in what we're uh, about to do. You're more than welcome to to watch, but um, it is for those who know Christ as their Savior and as their Lord and who share fellowship together in him. 
as we come around the table, we want to dwell on this theme of the promises of God because in uh, communion, in eating the bread and in drinking the cup, we are thinking on the promises that God has made to be uh, our God and to make us his people, to have a saviour come and transform us in the person of Jesus. But we're also thinking of his promise to us that he will, in being absent from us for a time, will return. We eat and we drink together until the Lord returns and gathers us to himself. And so as we consider together the promises of God around the table in communion, we hear these words from Galatians chapter 3. Picking up in verse 23, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so in that short few verses, Paul connects Christ to the promises God delivers to Abraham and says that we are the recipients of those promises, the blessings that come through those promises because we're connected to Christ and all of the promises of God focused in on the person of Jesus himself. And so it's our great blessing in gathering around the table uh, together in this Lord, on this Lord's Day to confess in eating and in drinking together that we are the recipients of those promises. We live our lives out in light of them and we go with confidence into this coming week in light of our trust in those promises delivered to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ and poured out, the blessings of which are poured out into our lives today until Christ comes and completes them, fulfills them on that return. And so we're going to come around the table together. Let's come in prayer and give thanks to God for his many promises to us and his faithfulness in delivering them. Let's pray together. Loving Lord, gracious heavenly Father, We come before you this morning as your people, giving you thanks, for you are a good God. Lord, we, like Abraham, deserved none of these promises that you have given. Lord, we do not deserve to be your children, for, Lord, we wanted nothing to do with you. We do not deserve to be part of a great kingdom that covers this whole earth, for we want no part in such a place. Lord God, we do not want to come under the rule of Christ, our King. Lord, we had rejected all of these things, and yet in your grace you came. By your Spirit and through your Word, you revealed the truth of the Gospel to us. You raised us from death and gave us life. And Lord, in so doing, incorporating us into your family through the blood of Jesus, that we celebrate around the table this morning the spilling of that blood, Lord, you have made us heirs of these promises in your word given to Abraham. Lord God, we thank you that we are the recipients of them through Jesus Christ. And we thank you, as you've said in your word here in Galatians 3, that if we are in Christ, we are heirs according to the promise. We have all of these blessings yet to be fulfilled in all of their fullness to look forward to. And so, Lord, we ask as we come around the table this morning, you would bless us as individuals, but as a fellowship together. You would send us out into the world hopeful, inspired and ready to live for you because of all you have already done and all that you will fulfill in Christ for each one of us. Lord, we thank you for Christ's body, which was broken on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. Lord God, we thank you for his blood that was shed in order that we might be sprinkled with it, as it were, washed clean by it, so that we might have a relationship with you in all of its fullness, for all that we don't understand it. 
Lord, we thank you that through the broken body and shed blood, we are incorporated into your family and are made recipients of these promises. Lord, we ask that you would bless us in our gathering around the table this morning, that we might worship you, but that we also might go from this place and live for you in light of it. And Lord, we ask it all in our Savior's precious name, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the table, we come and see the bread and the cup. And as Jesus came to the table, he came and after eating with his disciples, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. We're going to eat the bread together as a sign of our unity in Christ. This represents the body of Christ broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, we drink the cup together in remembrance of Christ's blood shed for us that we might be washed clean. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we thank you for these elements that we have shared in together as one family scattered across West Lothian. Lord God, this is not usual for us. This is not the way we would have it. And yet, as we've seen in Abraham's life, you lead us on a winding path that goes in all sorts of directions we do not understand. And yet, Lord, you call us to faithful perseverance with you. And so we ask, Lord, that as we eat and we drink together, as we proclaim through the um, the sharing of communion, that you are our God through the sacrifice of your Son, Lord, we ask that you would have us equipped to follow you faithfully, wherever the future may lie, whatever circumstances we may face. And Lord God, we ask that in the midst of it all, until Christ returns, we would go on glorifying you, honoring your name in our lives at home, amongst our neighbors, with our wider group of friends and family, our church and across our nation. Lord God, until Christ returns, we ask that you would continue to fulfill your promises to us, delivered from Abraham, through your Son, into our lives today, because of your faithfulness. And Lord, we ask it all in our Saviour's precious and powerful name. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so as we come to the end of our time, I want you to go into this coming week in the blessing of God. And may you go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you go knowing the love of God and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen.